Hello everyone, this is Yulei Strate. Today I'm hosting Nikki as part of the transition series. Nikki decided to shift careers when she was 32. She went back to school, studied and got a university degree that would later propel her to become senior vice president of HR for major market players. While caring for a new family, she studied, worked as an intern, and never looked back when family and friends were questioning her decisions. Now she has her own business and had to reinvent herself for a second time. Join us and get inspired by Nikki's success story. Transitions is about transformation and self-reinvention. It tells the stories of people that have made incredible professional and life changes. The ability to change and transition is one of the competencies required for the future of work. My hope is that these discussions will motivate you to forge your own unique journey, no matter the difficulty. The difference should be that you will know firsthand what to expect and will have higher chances of success because you can prepare. If you do find these types of conversations useful, you can support the podcast by subscribing to it. To access the video podcast and subscribe for free to my YouTube channel, go to youtube.com forward slash skillsformars and hit the subscribe button. Alternatively, you can go to skillsformars.com and click the YouTube confirm your subscription button. And now I give you Nikki. Hello, Nikki, and welcome to Skills for Mars Transitions. I'm Hi, very thanks. happy to host you today. Thank you very much for having me. Nice to see you again. It's nice to see you again as well. Nikki, to start with, can you lead us through your career journey, through your transformation journey? Yeah, sure. So my transformation journey actually started when I was 32. Um, so prior to prior to my 32nd year, I had uh, started out my career as a as an accountant, trainee accountant, which lasted about nine months, and I realised I was bored, crazy, and definitely not going to be the career I wanted to follow. Um, and then I joined the RAF, and I was in the RAF for. Uh, about six and a half years uh, as a data analyst. And at that point, I knew that I was wanting to get a what I classed as a more professional career. I didn't quite know what that was, but I knew it would also entail going to university, um, which I didn't do at 18. So I'd started a family. Um, and at, like I said, 32, I realized I wanted to go to university. I wanted to get a professional career. So I did a bit of research um, with a company that I was working with at the time, I uh, spoke to the HR manager and there were two careers that kind of interested me. One was in sales and marketing and the other was in um, people and HR. And so I just asked, can I chat to you and see what you love about your job? And would you arrange for me to speak to somebody in the company as well and see what they love? And it was clear from that discussion that I got a strong interest in the HR side of things, but still didn't really know anything about it. But that was the career path that I chose. So yeah, so it started um, at 32. Um, so how how what drove this decision? You didn't like the previous job. You just wanted to do more. I hadn't up until that point. I hadn't got the foggiest idea what I really wanted to do. Um, I think so, and and I, and I really encourage this with a lot of uh, younger people. My my uh, youngest son is uh, is 25, and and he. For, for his whole life, I've said to him, don't worry about what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Um, school encourages you to have some kind of career map laid out. But at, at 16, 18, you haven't got the foggiest idea what's really going on out, out in the world. And I think also there are so many new jobs coming up these days. You don't need to know at 16 and 18 what you're going to do. Um, and I've always encouraged him to stay open. And I use my story as an example to say, I was 32 before I found out. 
Um, and, and then it was, a, so it was a great transition from that point, but I, I knew I was unfulfilled at that point, up until that point. I knew that I'd got some aspiration and some, some curiosity, but I just didn't know what it was. I definitely knew I wasn't going to stay um, as a, a, at a, an administration level where I, which was the job I was doing part-time in the evening with my children. Because um, I, th I think this is an important point. Um, I'd been very successful in the RAF. I'd got promoted quite quickly. Um, but when I had children, uh, my, my first child, we discovered he's, uh, he's classed as special needs um, and he'll be a child for life. Um, and for the first, so whilst I had not intended to stay at home as a parent, um, I had to uh, for a number of years because he was, he was super poorly. So I, uh, I had to look after him. And that probably spurred me on even more to know that I, I, I wanted to have um, professional fulfillment and satisfaction. Still didn't know what that meant, though, at that point. So I started <laughs> the journey at 32. Why HR? What I love people. I really, okay. I love working with people. Um, I, you know, it's, I'll be honest, some people shock the hell out of me. Um, but at the same time, most people inspire me. Um, I love uh, I love what's possible when people have, um, for a start off, when they don't doubt themselves, when they're not living in somebody else's shadow, when they are courageous enough to, to go on a journey. Um, and the, there is so much potential um, when people realize that they they have something within them which is not defined by somebody else. And for me, HR provides that infrastructure in an organization. Um, hopefully, if you've got the right, you know, obviously there's a lot of complexity around it. There are a lot of modules and dimensions. So for me, because I love people so much, it was a, it was a way of um, bringing a skill set um, and developing a skill set. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. That's why I like HR as well. It's so nice to work with people and see them develop, see them grow, see them move yeah. to different areas in their lives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Nikki, you decided at 32 to go to university. Yes. Right? And study yes. again. So how did you do that? Did you have, um, did you just take time away? Did you work through it? No. Uh, so this was... Uh, Often when I reflect back, I'm not quite sure how I got through it because as I said, I, I'd got a small child um, I, who was extremely poor. I've got two children. Um, one, one is thankfully very, very fine, um, but the other one is, was super poorly and very, very developmentally delayed. So on average for about five or six years, uh, maybe a bit longer, no, probably about eight years. I probably existed on about four hours sleep a night. So at going to university, I was often doing my assignments at one and two o'clock in the morning um, and, and, and looking after Tom. But basically the way that the day was structured is uh, I volunteered to work for a company for free for 15 hours a week, which is when my children went to nursery. Um, so I was still, I was still working at, I was still looking after the house uh, in a very traditional female role while my ex, he's an ex-husband now, but while he was um, out at work, um, I was looking after the kids. So when they were at nursery, I would go and work for a company for free. And then on a Thursday afternoon from one o'clock in the afternoon until nine o'clock at night, I would be at university studying. Um, and then it was really just a case of balancing, doing all the work associated with a, a, quite an intensive degree. Um, learning a new career path and uh, and looking after small children. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a lot of work yeah, and a lot crazy. of time. It was it was crazy work. Did yeah. you ever doubt your choice? Did you ever think, "Am I crazy? Why am I doing this? This is too much." 
No, I didn't. And maybe that's the reason I got through it, because actually I, I, I loved and was super intrigued about all the stuff that I was learning. Um, I did question a lot of the time, um, certainly on the program that I was in, I was the only person that wasn't at a HR manager level. I was right at the beginning of my career. And, um, uh, you know, uh, most people were of my age and maybe a little bit older doing the program because most people had got experience within HR and they were doing the qualification to support their experience, whereas I was coming in completely fresh. Um, but I loved it. And actually, one of the things that, that I found very helpful about it was it helped me regain my who I am because I'd suddenly become the, 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 the carer of a very poorly child. I'd become the wife of, I'd become the mother of. And it's like I lost my identity in that, in that process which happens to a lot of people, whether you're, you know, the main carers. Um, but I think this, in, in essence, gave me my, it, it helped me get my identity back. Um, and, and, I, and I was good at it. So it was something I felt very proud of. So, What kept you focused? Because you had so many other things going in your life. What kept you focused to learn to, to I mean, you had three hours a day of working, right? Yes. Besides the care, besides the university, yeah. which was volunteering work, which was not even, even paid work. So what kept you focused? Belief, I think. Just genuine, genuine belief that this would evolve to something. And I was inspired by it. I loved it. I, I loved what I was learning. And, and I, like I said, I loved the, the, the sense of identity that it gave me. And also it became very, very apparent that uh, because I, I did get a job after a, you know a short period of time, the company that I was doing the volunteering for they they took me on as a paid employee, and then I got an opportunity at um, through a, through a, an advert that was at university. I got an opportunity to um, go and work for a consultancy within a more HR role, and the guy that I was working for was super because he wasn't from HR. He was a, he was a strategist, and. So a lot of the work that he did with uh, his clients where it would bring the people dimension into it, it, came, it, it brought a very fresh perspective. And so I had very, very early on in my career, I learned about using solving business issues using HR solutions as opposed to learning singularly HR solutions and just applying them everywhere. So I, I, I'm, I'm convinced that that was... Um, quite pivotal in enabling me to progress my career quite quickly. Um, so I, I, I was progressing through and I was learning all the time and I was getting introduced to so many different people and so much opportunity. Um, and then I ended up working at a company called The Gadget Shop, which unfortunately doesn't exist anymore, but it was my first proper HR manager role. And all this time, I just felt very inspired and I loved what I was doing. So I think when, when you love what you're doing, you will find solutions to the challenges that you surround yourself by. And yes, I was tired. I was very, very tired. Um, but it didn't seem to feature. That makes sense. <laughs> Did you have any skills, previous skills? I mean, you, you've been working, I think, 18 to 30 to 14 years yeah. before you started university. What were the skills that you relied on when you made the switch? That's really interesting. I don't think in the traditional sense that I could say that I took anything with me other than enthusiasm. So a lot of, most of it I would say is behavioral. And I think that's relevant for, for any, any person that's looking, looking to make a transition, a fundamental transition. Um, you know, if, you, if you're specializing within a specific career path that you're already in, then, then naturally you're already in it. But if you're making to, looking to make a, a really big change, it's about mindset and attitude. And that's what I took with me. Um, and I am a big believer that 
it sounds a little bit cliche, but I am a big bit a big believer in that you will find a solution to anything if you decide you want to. Um, Did it help you that you had previous work experience? Did it help you to find a, a job quicker? Think about the real world in a different way than maybe you would have done when you were 18. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, I think, um, interestingly, when I got the job at the consultancy that I described, it was my RAF background, um, what I would have experienced um, in the environment, particularly being a, a, the, regardless of whatever level you're working at, there are traditionally a lot fewer women than there are men. So um, the fact that I existed quite well and I, I could hold my own in that type of environment um, definitely stood me in good stead. And of course, you get a lot of discipline within the, the RF. You have to be, you have to be structured. You have to be, um, you, you know, to to exist within a within whatever the environment is. Um, and I think that definitely helped um, as I as I moved. What's the RAF? Uh, the Royal Air Force. Sorry, uh, I'm using UK terminology. Yeah, so the Royal Air Force. <laughs> Got it. Thank you so much. No it's for, for me and everyone else to understand. Yeah, of course. Isn't, isn't it amazing? You take acronyms for, for granted yeah. when you're so yeah. familiar with them. So I apologize about that. No worries. Did you feel that you were taking any risks when you made the jump? Yeah, because um, we certainly when, when we decided I was going to go to university and I, I was always the more ambitious one out of the, the, the couple that I was in. Um, but when we decided we were going to do that, we weren't earning a lot of money. Uh, also, my 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 ex-husband at the time wasn't earning a lot of money, and we had to take a loan out. And this, by comparison, now sounds like uh, well, it's not. It doesn't sound like a lot of money, but it was 20 years ago. And um, when you're only, uh, I think the income at the time, my husband was almost around 22,000 a year, something like that. So we took out um, a 6,000 pound loan uh, for me to to go to uni. And bear in mind, I wasn't really getting paid anything of any significance. It was a big investment. And so the risk was, oh, my God, if we invest this money and I can't pull this off and I can't recoup it in my career, that's a that's a big risk. Um, and as now, um, and I, I think it was one of the best investments I've ever made, ever. And I've continued to invest in my career and development ever since because it, it definitely pays off. Did you ever feel anxious or fearful about the risk that you took at that point, right? While while you were in in university, and I didn't I didn't feel anxious at that point. There were various stages throughout my career where I certainly experienced anxiety because uh, because I didn't follow the traditional HR route. Um, a lot of my development was reliant on me. Um, reaching out to other people who were more experienced than I was or, you know, utilizing the support of professionals in employment law or in recruitment, um, uh, recruitment marketing in particular. Um, and and them sharing with me their, their knowledge and understanding, but then I was going to apply it because I was the, the lead HR person in the company. That can feel pretty lonely. Um, and some of the, you know, some of the decisions that you take, they're, they're high risk, they're high value. That that there was definitely times where I was I was anxious because I didn't have a platform to fall back on. I didn't have a, a boss to go to or a, another HR colleague in house until I went to much larger organisations. In fact, it was actually my last appointment where it was a much larger HR organisation. Up until then, from thirty so from thirty five to forty five, I was the head of HR for all of the organisations that I worked for. So the responsibility falls on you. <laughs> definitely. You went from being an experienced person in administration yep. to being a junior again, right? So you basically 
had a higher level salary, right? You, you gave it up, went to uni, then became a junior again, zero salary as an intern. And then, and then you started your career. Yeah. How did it feel to be a junior again? Can you remember that feeling? And- yeah. But interestingly, I never, I never treated myself like I was. Um, you know, I think, I think it's important not to underestimate life and uh, under, undervalue life experience. And there's one thing I've specifically learned in my career that I, I feel very, very strongly about. People can progress to a senior level and it doesn't necessarily make them good and it doesn't necessarily make them um, helpful in the circumstances. Um, I've seen lots of overpromoted people who just happen to be in the right place at the right time. And so often I, I say um, most jobs are as good as the last person that was in the role. So we have this we have this myth and we have this expectation that the larger the organization, the more established it is, the more processes and tools and technology that they have in place, they must be better. And my reality and my experience is that's not the case. So oftentimes the, the importance of really questioning yourself and saying, how am I showing up? How am I contributing? What's the value that I'm adding? And getting comfortable that if I've got a different perspective to other people, it might well be the right perspective. Um, and you've got to, you know, you've got to have the self-belief. So to be honest, I never treated myself as I was junior. Uh, I, in fact, I, I didn't, I never also in the, my senior career, I never treated myself like I was senior either. I, I, I think I just didn't have that type of judgment. Did others think of you as junior and maybe not at the appropriate age? You have that. I had an I had an age thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, people were ageist on the, ba- the fact that I was older going into a career path um, rather than um, you know the traditional route. Frankly, I don't care. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, so that's how you dealt with it. Pretty much, and I think uh, I, I can't say that I was insensitive to it. it, it there were probably times where comments were made, and it, it was it would have been hurtful. But I've also I've also learned over time, and I, I really encourage this with the people that I work with now is listen to the feedback of the people who have your best interest in heart. I've I've experienced a lot, not just with me personally, but what I've seen in, in, in the workplace is people are very willing to give feedback about to somebody else because it makes them feel better, not because actually it's helpful to the other individual. Um, and I uh, so I'm a big believer of filter out the stuff that isn't helping you. You said something about standing up, right? And having the courage, even if someone doesn't believe exactly in what you're saying, having the courage and going with your thoughts and ideas if you believe in them. Yeah. I think that's easy to say, hard to do. Very. (laughs) How do you do it? That's a good one. Um, I think you've got to be... I'm going to use an example of when I was um, in one organization. When I joined, I'd, I'd... I never go into any organization when I was in-house, obviously clearly now I'm, I'm, I'm not working in-house, but when I was an in-house HR person and I'd moved to a new role, I never go with preconceived ideas about, you know, this worked in a previous organization, so they should have it here. Um, I always do a critique of what I personally observe versus what the business needs at that point in time. So there are always within a HR organization, there's some foundational stuff you have to have really well in place. So your employee relations needs to be well-structured, your recruitment process needs to be uh, well-structured, your terms and conditions, et cetera, things like that. So I always do uh, the analysis there to begin with. And what I discovered with this one organization is that um, they were a seven day a week business. 
and their employment contracts were structured around a five day a week business and it really wasn't effective for the company at all. I So I made a proposal after a few months to say, this is what I, I strongly recommend that we implement this change. And the pushback that I got was, uh, yeah, we've heard that before from HR, you know, four, four, four of your predecessors said exactly the same thing um, or the same type of thing. And, you know, what, it just didn't work out. And I said, mm, OK, fair enough, but just leave it with me. And nine months later, I'd got 92 percent of the organization converted into the method. So I think if you can see something that you know is going to be great for an organization, if you don't believe in yourself, why should somebody else? Um, if you haven't done the analysis and you haven't got the data and you haven't um, understood the business environment and you're not prepared to stand behind your conviction, why would anybody else stand behind it? So I think it's about how you reach a decision, um, how you, how you, what is it that's leading you to the recommendation? Is it superficial? Then nobody's going to believe you. If it's robust and you believe it and you, you're, you're convinced by it, then you have to have the courage to go with it. Otherwise, you're going to be a follower. For sure. Did yeah. you have, I asked you about, uh, you, you told me about your husband's uh, support, right? And yeah. then you made this decision together at that, uh, that point for you to change. Yeah. Did you have your family support, your friend support? Uh, I can't say directly. Um, when we'd, where, where we lived at the time was quite remote from my family anyway, because we'd with the jobs that we'd had, we we were both in the in the RAF, and then obviously I left when when um, I had my my first son, um, and so we were quite remote from where my family was, and I think they were just a bit surprised, and it's like, crikey, isn't your life complicated enough? Uh, why would you do this? So I would probably say more likely I got, why on earth are you putting this on your shoulders? Um, so I wouldn't say they discouraged me, but they were probably questioning my madness. Um, but, uh, but, but, but my husband at the time was very, very supportive. Um, so he, um, he always believed in me. Um, I think he also knew that if I decided I was going to achieve something, there was, I was kind of relentless in, in making that happen. I don't think I made myself, I don't think I made it from easy for myself a lot, but <laughs> that's easy to say in hindsight. <laughs> uh, Nikki, how, how do you feel about the result right now? Right. We are a few years later. Yep. You've, you've already moved into a VP of HR role yep. and now even moving further to your own company, doing coaching. Yep. How do you feel about the result? I, um, I, feel, I feel blessed every single day. And it's hard moving out, out of, a, of an in-house role into setting up your own company. That's, that's one hell of a journey as well. That's, uh, because because this, is, this is actually where people do treat you differently. People treat you based on your job title. Um, and I think it's naive to think they don't. And uh, so I had, I had been operating internationally at a VP, SVP um, of HR, responsible for thousands of employees. Um, in large organizations. And the day that I chose to step away, I remember it was a couple of months after I chose to step away, I went to a HR um, event um, and they said to, and, and obviously I'd, at that point I decided I was gonna specialize in coaching. I've been training in coaching for about six years. Um, and I remember going to an event and somebody saying to me, this is for HR directors only. And, and I said to them, uh, I haven't suddenly lost everything that I've worked on and I've had huge response, you know, millions of pounds, budgets, responsibility, thousands of people, responsibility. That didn't stop just because I no longer work at that company. Um, but I, I literally wasn't allowed to attend this event. 
Yeah, that can happen. That was so, shocking. That was absolutely it, I, shocking. Yes, it it does. It, I yeah, it's it's crazy. It happened to me as well. Oh, really? Just yeah. When the moment I moved, the, I moved out of the corporate world, right? And when you lose the global whatever title, uh, and you're just, I, yeah, you're just whatever the founder of your own company or or anything like this. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't sound like you're a director or a no, senior. No, exactly. <laughs> and I and I said to my partners, my partner is uh, he's a, a a global CEO, um, run a billion. Um, about 10 billion organization. And I said to him, if you want to put a great management development program in, program in place for people who you truly believe have got the potential to make it to, to very senior levels, then give them a year to set up a business without any help at all from any of the infrastructure inside. So you may you, you carry on paying their salary because you don't want to take that away from them. But if they have to go and get the funding and they have to set up the legal entity and they have to set up the banking and they have to set up the documentation and the branding and all the stuff that goes with it, that's a real test, in my view, of courage and something that is fundamentally underplayed. So I I, I, I totally agree. Do you feel that the second change put you at risk or was more challenging than the change that the change you made a few years ago when yes. you were 32? Yes, completely honestly. Yes, definitely. It was uh, it was the scariest thing I've done. Um, I Why would say was it scary? scary? Why was it scary? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, because when you're when you're in house and you have a vision for how something can be, and I have experienced this a lot. Um, I have found often people don't see what I see. So, but when you're in-house, you can make it happen anyway. You're, you're, you, you can carry on working on the processes. You can carry on you know, gently um, nurturing and encouraging the background. When you're out-house, so I don't just do coaching. I also do leadership talent management. Uh, I help organizations set up um, their HR uh, strategy, that sort of thing. But if somebody doesn't see what you see and you're outhouse, then just say no thanks. And and yeah. you 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 don't so your 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 influencing skills need to be an awful lot different. Um, people have this thing about paying consultancy type rates, whereas they're they're not taking into account that, you know, they're not paying your holiday pay, they don't have to worry about severance, they don't have to worry, and they're paying for your skill right up front, which by the way, you've got 20 years worth of experience behind you. And of course, the difficulty is they don't, if they don't know you, they don't really know the quality of what they're buying until they start working with you. So I think there's a whole vulnerability piece there to have the courage to keep going. Um, and I'm a people person. So suddenly being surrounded by lots of people to um, being on my own and having to do everything that we talked about earlier, that, that was scary. That was completely um, a different journey. And then you had to learn sales as well. Yeah. You wanted sales oh, and marketing yeah. when you were 32, but, but this is totally different. Well, I mean, yeah. this is not influencing like you do in HR so, or the sale that you do internally. This, yeah. is, this is a whole different beast. Yes, exactly. And I'll you know, be transparent, the selling bit I hate as well. Um, I really, you know, I just, I just was like, I can see it. I'll just, let me just come in and do it. And I'll prove for you that I know exactly what I'm talking about. And I always have success. It's not like I'm, it's not like I, I, I've done work um, in the last four years where people have backed down and said, turned around and said, oh, that really, that, that didn't work. It's not every, every time I do, but people who don't know you don't know that. So um, it's a bit like going for, it's a bit like going for regular interviews and hoping you're going to get the job. So. <laughs> 
how did it feel to go from being an employee to not being an employee? How long um, did it take you to make the switch? Uh, I would say it took me about, I'd say about, probably about 12 months. I missed being um, around the group that I was with. But I think this is really, really important. In HR, the thing that I truly, truly have always loved is the talent management element, the, but, but at very much a strategic level. So the the what leaders you appoint into what roles, how you've qualified that decision, how you support people to address any gaps that they've got. And in my view, this is a fundamentally important part in any longevity for an organization. So it's always been within the senior levels that I've been doing that with. The reality is if you're in a generalist HR role, which any VP of HR normally is, the employer relations type of work takes precedence because it has an immediacy and an urgency. So when we're talking about long range talent management programs and we're talking about leadership development programs, they always get stopped versus the immediacy of restructure or whatever else is going on in the company. And I struggled with that inability to be able to spend sufficient amount of time driving talent strategies, which will serve the long-term sustainable success of the company. They just, are, you know, there's, there's so much research out there that demonstrates it. So for me, the trade-off was either do what you love and learn how to adapt with that or stay unfulfilled because you're not making the level of impact you want to make. And it's important to me to make impact. So I, I balanced the discomfort with being able to focus on what I love doing, um, and which I know makes the biggest difference. Because leaders, and, and I, I can't stress this enough, one leader makes that much difference. I've seen, I've seen, sorry, but frankly, crappy appointments wipe millions off an organization's um, um, like cash flow or profit or, or turnover, you know, there's lots of cost associated with it. And the people that usually pay the price for it are much further down in the organization because they get laid off. Their severance packages are nowhere near as much as the person they pay off to go away. Um, and that frustrates the hell out of me. So one of my biggest drivers for what I do now is supporting the right leadership in place with the right type of behaviors. Um, so yeah, as you can hear, I feel very strongly about that. And I, uh, what I hear is the energy as well. So I guess you're very happy with the last change that you've made as well. Yes. Yes, I definitely am. So we've, we're literally just closed out the fourth year. Um, so we're, we're just, we're, we're just into the fifth year now. Um, and I'm, I, I think I'll be continuing to refine for the rest of my life. I, I transitioned, like I say, focused on leadership, talent management. So I was doing one-to-one -one exec coaching, um, and I hear a lot of people call themselves coaches out there that have been on a weekend program. And I can tell you now, I've, I've trained for years to do this on very detailed, extensive programs. You cannot be a coach with a weekend course. You have to do it quite extensively. And then I also um, chose an additional specialism. So a, a few years ago, I, I've, I've trained as a team coach as well. And uh, I just love the work. Working with leadership teams in team coaching capacity is probably my favorite work. And I would never have had the time to dedicate the level of attention you need to go to to get skilled in that environment if I'd have stayed in-house. So again, you've got to go with your dreams. Yeah, I, I totally agree with uh, coaching with you. And it is an unregulated profession right yes. now. So I guess that's why it's still uh, possible for people to go on a weekend course and uh, yeah. say that they are coaches. Yes. Unfortunately. 
Yeah, but there's some there's some great um, certifying bodies out there like the EC, uh, the ICF, and there's, ICF. A, there's another European one as well. Um, which I think if so, if you've got the certification with them, which is a which is a good demonstration of both knowledge and experience. Um, and then looking at somebody's track record of how much training they do, because coaching is it's like getting fit. Um, knowing something, which is what you will learn if you go on a weekend course, is not the same as doing something. So I know to be fit and healthy, and I use this analogy a lot, I know to be fit and healthy, I need to eat a balanced diet and I need to exercise regularly. Knowing it doesn't get me fit and healthy. I have to get out there and, and, and do it and on do a it. regular basis. Nikki, if you are to summarize your change experiences, yeah. both of them, because you had two big ones, yeah. what would be three things that you would keep the same yep. and do it all over again? And what would be three things that you say, Ah, maybe I would do it differently right now. Um, the three things that I would definitely keep the same are investing in my own development. Um, I would probably have stronger belief that the outcome is definitely going to, to, to get there, but don't be too fixated on what that looks like. Um, and I would say reach out to colleagues and you know, continue to reach out to colleagues and people that you respect to support you on the journey. I probably wouldn't do an awful lot different because even some of the, even some of the less palatable experiences have, have actually given me lessons along the way. And I think, I actually think it's important not to, not to have a, a misguided belief that you won't experience discomfort at some point. Um, life isn't full of complete joy. Life has challenges that, that get thrown at us along the way. Nobody's immune from that. But at these moments in time, they can be some of your greatest gifts. I think you, you're aware that I had an experience in, it's back in 2007 now, I was an SVP of HR, and I had what I call them my best worst experience. If I hadn't had that worst experience, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. I wouldn't have pursued coaching. I wouldn't have got trained in that field because I wouldn't have understand, understood how fundamentally important it is to have um, an exec coach at that level. So it was a gift. Nikki, thank you so much for today. If anyone wants to reach you and reach uh, QI Performance, where can they find you? So you can... Find me on LinkedIn. Um, I think most people find me on LinkedIn. So, or if you just go to Key Performance, which is, it's, it's spelled QI, but it's pronounced okay. Key. So it's keyperformance.co.uk or Nikki, N-I-C-K-I at keyperformance.co.uk. Perfect. I'll make sure that, uh, that I link your uh, contact details as well when we release the video. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. That's very thank kind. Thank you as well. It was really great talking to you. As usual, amazing discussion inspiring journey. Thanks so much. Well, no, congratulations to you. I think this is a great idea to, to, to share with the community about the fact that you can pursue anything you want to do. And there's lots of people out there that are, that are doing it. So uh, great initiative. I, I love it. And Thank I'm you very so happy to promote it to, to, to my community too. Thank you very much, Nikki. Okay. Thank you. Thanks and happy Easter. And to you. Thank you. <laughs>